0: Good morning, everybody. It is man coverage with Knoxville Nate and Mr. Bonneville. It is May 1st, surprisingly, 2022. We are going to discuss the aftermath of the NFL draft. We also have a special guest today, former Minnesota Golden Gopher captain uh, Crawford Jordan. He's going to join the show. Mr. Bonneville, how are you doing today, sir?
1: Any better be a crime.
0: All right. We got a uh, little bit to discuss. Crazy. One of the crazier, I think, NFL drafts in the history of the game. Uh, We had tons of trades, more trades than I've ever seen. Uh, And and not to mention the players. You know, this is a college football show, so we're not going to get it real in-depth about the NFL, um, you know, free agency. But I I thought it was pretty crazy seeing all these marquee guys uh, go in the, uh, you know, the day of the draft. And I thought that was pretty nuts. And I think it's, you know, my, my uh, breakdown of that is I think there's two camps. I think there's NFL teams that value uh, the wide receiver position to no end and, and are willing to pay out the wazoo for a guy that can get it done. And there's other uh, teams that are like, I'm not paying $25 million uh, for a wide receiver. And uh, we can just go get one in the draft because this obviously was a very wide receiver, uh, uh, rich draft. Uh, What do you what do you think about the uh, the movement on draft day, James?
1: You know, some of those trades just kind of floored me like I didn't see A.J. Brown getting traded or Hollywood uh, or uh, or. Hollywood Um, Brown. Hollywood Brown. You're right. It was on the tip of my tongue. I didn't see neither one of those trades happening, but, you know, listening to an interview with uh, Harbaugh during the draft, it was just something he thought from a culture standpoint to move him on to Arizona. and They moved on from there. And quite frankly, you look at what Baltimore did in this draft. I mean, it, it was phenomenal. I think the pressure's not on now on Rashad Bateman quite a bit, Uh, to pick up that slack from Brown, but I think he's got the talent to do that, so. Yeah, I mean, we're looking right now at, uh, we should really start talking about who really are the top four teams coming out of this draft. first and foremost, like we were talking about Baltimore. I mean, Kyle Hamilton and Todd Linderbaum in the first round, I thought were fantastic picks. I mean, Hamilton slipped back, Linderbaum slipped back. I mean, Linderbaum is by far the best center in this draft I've seen in some time. And Kyle Hamilton, the talent speaks for itself. I mean, he can come up in the box and really do a lot of work up front, but also come back. I mean, Grant, he's a larger safety, so he's not going to have the depth, I mean, the speed that you really truly want. But I think you're getting in that Taylor Mays kind of thought process of that longer thicker safety that could really do some damage i mean nate what are your thoughts on baltimore's draft
0: i thought they killed it man i mean uh, my biggest winners were were baltimore and another team i'll get into in here in just a second fell in their lap i'm not really sure why he dropped uh as far as he did but getting him at number 14 i thought was a huge value uh, picking up the best interior lineman in the entire draft. And, yes, I said interior lineman uh, because I, I I group him with the guards, and I think Tyler Linderbaum is the best interior lineman in the draft overall. So getting, him at, uh, getting him at 25 I thought was huge because they traded uh, away their pick and then moved back, got that pick back, um, and then were able to get Linderbaum with that. So some pretty good maneuvering by their um, – Uh, by their brass. And then to pick up David Ajabo at 13, I thought was huge. Which Um,
1: if it wasn't for that injury, he's a first round talent. Yeah, he
0: he may have gone in the top 15. So getting him 13th in the second round, I thought was huge and was a, uh, was a direct uh, result of him getting injured on the pro day. So I like that. And then obviously their fourth round pick, we'll talk about here a little bit later, I thought was uh, one of the best values in the draft.
1: Well, not only that, Travis Jones out of UConn. I mean, quite frankly, I could have seen legitimate arguments. He going at the end of the first round, beginning of the second round, and you get him for third round value. I mean, that's unreal. And plus you got Kolar, the tight end out of Iowa State, plus Isaiah Likely, who I've seen some people put as high as the second round. I mean, you get them for fourth round talent. They had a a bang out fourth round. I mean, you got Falele, Armour Davis, Kohler the punter stout out of Penn state likely in Williams, the corner out of Houston. I mean, man, you, you can't have a better fourth round than that.
0: I agree. If you can, I mean, if you can get a couple of guys that can contribute in the fourth round, uh, you, you are winning and yes. um, you know, w- we're going to get into our sleepers uh, here in just a second. I want to talk about the guys that I think that were uh, drafted in the fourth round or later, that can come in and potentially start right away or definitely help football teams. But I do want to talk for a second about um, you know another team that I thought won on day one, and that that was the New York Jets. And I, I, I can't even believe I'm saying it. Being a Jets fan for the last 40 years, they have figured out a way to F up the NFL draft almost every time. I mean, this is a team that's had the number one pick. This is a team that's had a top 10 pick almost every year since I was born. And uh, to come out and actually win on draft day blew me away. And uh, I I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I mean, to come out on number four and get Sauce Gardner, in my estimation, the best corner in this draft, I thought was huge. And then to come back and just sit right where they were, get the best wide receiver at number 10 with Garrett Wilson, and then trade back into the first round and pick up uh, Jermaine Johnson, who I thought, and I expressed on the show, was my favorite pass rusher in the draft at number 26, I thought it was amazing. So what they did in those first three picks was get three bona fide first-year starters right away. Why Jermaine Johnson fell? You know, me and you talked about it a little bit off air. There's been a lot of discussion about it. Was it uh, attitude? Was it his personality? You know, I don't really know. Uh, I've heard some rumors, and, and you obviously have your guesstimations on that but the simple fact is as far as football playing goes the guy's pretty damn good
1: well i mean the talent's there i mean there's no doubt about it and you know you look at it from where he played high school football from mike grant at eden prairie to his time at independence then georgia then florida state i mean heck he was acc defensive player of the year i mean coming off the edge he really came to play hard but i think you know there's a couple other people in that draft class that you know May get some starting playing time right away. Breeze Hall out of Iowa State, fantastic running back. Plus, on the fourth round, Max Max Mitchell, the tackle out of Louisiana. I mean, you look back at those Louisiana Lafayette offensive linemen, they came to play. They were hard-nosed, downhill blockers that did not shy away. I I thought it was a fantastic class overall.
0: I agree. I agree. And I was pretty pretty fired up because I've never seen – uh, the Jets draft that well. And I agree with you. I think Mitchell was a great pickup in the fourth. I I loved uh, the uh, 12th pick in the fourth round, Clemens. We're going to talk about him here in a minute. And then uh, Jeremy Rucker out of Ohio State. I mean, he was a pretty damn good tight end. I mean, pass catcher-wise, yeah, That can be a decent inline blocker. Um, I, I think he's a guy that can definitely play. And they already picked up uh, two tight ends, You know, one from the Vikings and also uh, Uzama, the Bengals' tight end in the offseason. So now they've got three tight ends, whereas last year they had zero. So they've upgraded that position considerably, and I, I think the Jets deserve some credit. Um
1: Is there any other team that,
0: that you really liked what they did on day I, one?
1: Well, I, I'm thinking complete draft, and that's Seattle. I mean yeah. – they really solidified the change in thought process of the culture of that program. I mean, they had problems on the offensive line. What do they do first round bring in their left tackle of the future and Charles cross. I mean, by far the best pass blocking tie uh, tackle in this draft and then follow up in a third round, the true right t- tackle on Abraham Lucas out of Washington state. I mean, they've got their bookends for the next five to six, seven years right there. Plus in the second round, getting that Leo, uh, linebacker in boye mafe and we've talked about him extensively on this show i mean the athleticism is off the charts and he's going to fit perfectly in the pete carroll scheme but then coming back and the next very next pick and getting another big 10 guy in kenneth walker the third i thought was the best running back in this class And you look, the Seattle just keeps getting better. Plus in the fourth round, you get Kobe Bryant, you know, the bookend cornerback with sauce Gardner at Cincinnati. They were known for that defensive backfield. Cincinnati had a bang up draft as a whole. I mean, what was it? Seven kids from the program got drafted yesterday. It's a, it, 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 Luke Fickle has done a phenomenal job in the development of that program plus Tyreek Smith in the fifth, Bo Melton in the seventh, as well as Derek Young, the hybrid tight end of Lenore Ryan. I, I mean, fantastic class by Pete Carroll.
0: I agree. I think the um, the Seahawks killed it. I think they uh, had one of the better drafts of any team. Um, getting Tyreek uh, Smith in the fifth round is a guy that can definitely produce for you. He flashed at Ohio State at times when he was out there. Um, I love the Mafe pick in the second round getting, I mean, they basically got their their tackles, their, start, yeah. their two starting tackles. They picked up in the in the first three rounds. They got Cross at the left tackle. They're going to start Lucas at right. Kobe Bryant, people talk about sauce, but Kobe Bryant was the one that won uh, the defensive back of the year award, uh, you know, in, in college football. So I'm not quite sure why he dropped to the fourth. Obviously, he's not the physical freak uh, that Sauce is. But as far as technique and, and quarter, quarterback ability, I, I think he's right there with him. So picking him up in the fourth round is huge. And uh, the only question I've got with the Seahawks is, who who are they going to play at quarterback? Uh, because I don't like anybody they have on their roster.
1: So Well, I, it's I, funny you mention that. I think they're playing for next year. I literally, because you look at next year's draft class for quarterbacks, I mean, it is stocked. If there was ever a year you want to wait to get a quarterback, it is next year because it's – I mean, you could go down to pick five, pick six, and there could be a quarterback still sitting there. I mean, you could see the first five, six quarterbacks taken. People taken will be quarterbacks next year. I mean, Stroud, Williams. I mean, the list goes on and on. Bryce Young. I mean, there is a crop of quarterbacks coming out next year's draft that is going to be lock, stock, and barrel. I mean, heck, Spencer Rattler could really turn his game around, be that top five, top six uh, quarterback like they were projecting for him for this year's draft.
0: I agree, but what are they going to do for this year is my question. Um, you know, do they roll? Drew Locke. with Do they roll with Drew Lock? Do they roll with Geno Smith? Um, do they roll with Jacob Eason or do they bring in Baker Mayfield or, or something like that? You know, we're not an NFL show, but I, I, I that's just the questions I've got uh, for the Seahawks going forward. But you know what? I actually kind of like the fact they didn't uh, uh, reach and draft somebody that they didn't like. I mean, yeah, I, I've exactly. seen teams do that all the time. And then you're stuck with this guy for five years, four or five years. Uh, if you don't like somebody don't draft them. I mean, I think Drew Locke and, and Gino can hold it down. So I love what the, the Seahawks did, but I want to dive in while we've still got some time here. I want to break down uh, the guys that we thought, you know, really were steals of the late rounds and uh, guys that, that we thought uh, got picked up and, you know, are going to make an immediate impact that were drafted in rounds four or later. And one guy that I want to talk about first uh, is a guy that I think we've discussed on the show, and a guy that, that really holds true for us today. Because obviously you are a Minnesota guy. We're gonna have uh, Crawford uh, Jordan on later the show, who is a Minnesota guy, and this guy is a Minnesota guy, and I'm talking obviously about the behemoth mass of a man, uh, Daniel Falalei, six foot eight, three hundred and eighty four pounds, and the guy can can move. And to get him in the fourth round, I thought was pretty freaking amazing. Um, what did you think about him going in the fourth round? And uh, what do you think about him overall potentially starting and playing early?
1: He Well, I, I think he will. But, I mean, he definitely needs some technical work. Um, I mean obviously sometimes he gets his pad level, level a little too high he gets his arms a little too wide in the process plus sometimes when you know he gets to that first line of defense blocking wise he kind of slows down and stops stops out of the play but I mean you you can't go through him you have to go around him and he's not slow he is a very for his size he's got good speed on from a from a lateral standpoint so you really got to get there if you're going to beat him you got to beat him to the outside Um, downhill blocking capability. I mean, if there are two people that from this draft, that Mohammed Ibrahim is going to miss, it's Daniel Falalele and a guy that went in the sixth round in Co-Keefe. And if you haven't seen any film on Co-Keefe, this guy lives on serving up pancakes to people. I mean, he is going to do damage in Tampa Bay to help out that running game with Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones. Yeah, and I, I just
0: think Philele is, he looked, when I looked at him playing at Minnesota and I watch him play, I, I just see like a Raven player yeah. in him. And I mean, you could put a, a a Raven uniform on him and just be like, oh God, that guy was like made to wear that uniform. He reminds me uh, size-wise of Jonathan Ogden and and uh, also the dude from um, Oklahoma who got traded to the uh, Kansas City Chiefs.
1: Orlando uh, Brown.
0: Orlando Brown. he He just... Kind of reminds me of him, the, those guys a little bit in the way he plays. Obviously, Jonathan Ogden is one of the greatest college and pro football players of all time, so I'm not comparing them. Uh, but I just do think this dude is uh, is pretty solid and is going to do some things in the NFL. And and was a steal uh, in the fourth round. So uh, what do you think?
1: He's just a mountain of a man. I, I I agree. I and you know you think of how far this kid came. I mean, he never started playing football until his junior year of high school at IMG and didn't even play. He just practiced, played one year his senior year at IMG, then came to Minnesota and started halfway through his freshman year against Ohio State, where he had one heck of a game. I mean, this kid, is his upside is going to be there. Sure, he's got technical problems, but, I mean, the metrics alone, you can't buy that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, well you can teach uh some yeah. tech, you can teach technicality. You cannot teach six foot eight, three hundred and eighty-four pounds. I mean, that's just uh that's ridiculous.
1: Absolutely.
0: So I, I think that was a huge steal. The other guy I want to talk about is a dude that um, we've already mentioned on this show, and that was uh one of the Jets, uh the the last pick of the Jets, honestly, and that's Michael Clemens out of Texas AM. Uh this guy I thought would go a little bit earlier than that. Um, and I'm not quite sure why he dropped as far as he did. Uh, maybe he just you know, didn't run as fast as, as they would have liked in the 40, and maybe some measurables weren't there. But as far as uh, playmaking ability goes, I mean, what the hell else could you want more than Michael Clemens? This guy can make plays. This guy certainly flashed at Texas A&M. And if it weren't for their depth on the defensive line, you know, I think his, his production and his numbers would have been way higher. But this is still a dude that can be a disruptor. And I think a guy that can start for the New York Jets.
1: I agree with you 100%. I mean, you got to remember this draft was incredibly deep. It didn't have that showcase. Like usually you walk into a draft a month out and you could spot one, two, three, four, five. Who's going to go in those top five picks? We didn't really know up until Jacksonville opened up their mouth that Trayvon Walker was going to be that pick. I mean, you and I talked about it. Where we thought there's a pretty good chance he could be but i mean aiden hutchinson just as easily could have been that number one pick and it was a very interesting first round i mean you had guys going to third and fourth round that could have been first round picks in other drafts and i think there was just some good depth overall where you didn't have those showcase guys right off the top where everybody's got some things i mean heck look at stingley at three i mean people were questioning his heart his health and viability but You look back at what he did in 2019 as a true freshman, probably the best player on that LSU team that won national championship with guys like Joe Burrow, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Clyde Edwards, Edwards Hilaire. I mean, you had some serious talent on that team and still people talk about Derek Stingley being the showcase player of that program during that year.
0: Yeah, if he doesn't get injured, I mean, he honestly could have been the number one pick in this draft, uh, in my opinion. So, uh, really, injury was the only thing that that pushed him down. So, I agree with you. I think this was a really deep draft. And I think that, um, you know, you saw how deep it was based on some of these guys that we're talking about right now. And yeah. an- another dude that I want to talk about for a second that got drafted, uh, you know, in the fourth or fifth round is the uh, running back out of Georgia, and that's so uh, Zamir White. I mean, this guy. Let's be honest. I mean, they have four starting running backs at Georgia. I mean, you got James Cook, um, you've got uh, you know Harson, you've got this guy, uh, Zamir White. You've got essentially three starters that they just rotate in and out. It's the same thing with their defense, and the reason that seven of their defensive, seven of their eleven defensive starters got drafted. Uh, they're they're loaded on offense as well, and I thought that yeah. Z Zeus as they call him uh, is a hell of a running back and a huge pickup uh, this late in the rounds. What do you think about him, and and what do you think about the potential of him playing uh, early in his NFL career?
1: I, I think he could. I mean, he is such a downhill running back. I question his health because he just is such a hard runner that you're going to. I mean, you're paying you're going from playing twelve games, thirteen games to seventeen games plus you have preseason plus you got camp early on i mean i question if his body can keep up that constant pounding but i mean you look at it from a size perspective he's right there i mean he's very strong people question his speed in the in the combine he really showed out and ran a 4 four forty when they thought he was going to run like a 454640 he showed out so the potential is definitely there for a guy like uh for, for a guy like him you know, there's a couple names and guys we've talked about before, like especially during our senior bowl cast. Somebody you yourself talked about was somebody Kansas City got in Kennard, the, the offensive lineman out of Kentucky. I, I, I that thought guy. that was I love that pick, especially that late. I thought that was I thought Kansas City really knocked it out of the park. I mean, getting George Karloff this at the end of the first round. People were talking about him being top five like two weeks ago. And I I mean, I've seen that kid play a ton, man. He was like a one man wrecking crew. His lower body strength, he just manipulated people all over the place. I didn't know his background, that he was a a rugby player in Greece before he moved to West Lafayette. And, but you could see, I mean, the the power this man has in his legs. He, I mean, when they played in the Music City Bowl and Karl didn't play, I'm like, I thought Purdue was done because he was their defense. And could you imagine if he would have played in that game? He would have been in the backfield like he owned the place. He would have had a freaking mortgage sitting back there with uh, uh, with Herndon. Not Herndon. Uh, uh, who's the quarterback of Tennessee again? It's... Uh, uh, Hinden Hooker. Hooker. That's it. Hooker.
0: Yeah. Uh, no, I, I agree. I think if he and, and David Bell playing in that game, uh, then Purdue would have uh, won by about he, three touchdowns.
1: David Bell. I, another guy who slipped. I, I, I mean, I, I look at David Bell... And Michael Thomas in the same breath. I mean, you go want to go back and look at games where David Bell showed out. Watch any Iowa game against Purdue. David Bell, I mean, nobody has big games against Iowa through the air. Yet David Bell would have his birthday every time. Need to be in Iowa City or West Lafayette. He would he was huge, time after time after time. And I thought Cleveland nailed it out of the park with him. Uh Malcolm Rodriguez. I mean, we oh. talked about him on this show going to detroit in the fifth i mean this kid it's zach thomas uh sixth round six six round, round.
0: sixth round yeah rodriguez was in the sixth round and was number 188 overall and that was a guy <laughs> that i you know i loved him i loved him in the senior ball. i loved him uh this year to get that guy in the sixth round, I thought was huge uh, for a team like Detroit that needs linebacker help. This is a guy that could run, th- that would run through a damn wall for you. He loves football. He lives football. He's a little bit undersized, uh, but what he lacks in size and um, you know measurables, he makes up for in his effort and his dedication oh, to the game. This
1: kid's—I mean, the number of tackles he had during his four-year career at Oklahoma State is ridiculous. I mean it is absolutely i mean it's it's zach thomas all over again and where did zach thomas up in end up in a lot of pro bowls he was that good and getting six round value i thought detroit knocked it out of the park i mean they got past uh, Pasch, uh Paschel, the kentucky edge rusher in the third round kirby joseph out of illinois in the third round at safety i mean the kid was a ball hawk. I mean, Detroit usually always finds a way to screw something up, and they did great. Well,
0: that's what I was saying with this draft and the depth that, the, that it has in the later rounds. Even the teams that usually shoot themselves in the foot uh, were able to succeed because there were so many talented players in the oh, later rounds.
1: It was crazy. I mean, but think about next year. You're going to have a draft where you're going to start off with guys like C.J. Stroud. Bryce Young, Young, Caleb Williams, probably Anthony Richardson out of Florida, Spencer Rattler, Will Anderson. I mean, this is going to be a crazy draft up front where you're going to see people try to trade into like the sixth pick. I mean, heck, Jackson Smith and Jigba could go out next year. I mean, this top 10 could be just absolutely stacked.
0: Yeah, I'm not. I haven't gotten into my uh, study as far as how deep next year's draft will be, but um, you know, definitely has more top end talent. Has more quarterbacks. Has more of the flashy guys that we think are 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 you know first round worthy. A lot, lot more guys that will have first round grades for sure. But you know, you mentioned Darian Kennard. This is a guy that we talked about uh, when we did our senior ball breakdown. This is a dude that's played tackle. He's played left tackle. He's played right tackle. He's played both guard positions. This is a guy that I think can come in and provide immediate depth um, on the Chiefs and to get him in the fifth round, I thought was huge. I thought he had it. I gave him a second or a third round grade uh, to come out with him in the fifth round is huge. And then a guy that went right after him in the draft was a kid out of Indiana. And that's Micah McFadden, uh, the linebacker who, you know, I think really dropped because of his injuries. This is a dude that is a football player. And um, we saw, Indiana become a force in the big 10 of which I've really haven't seen since 1989 uh, with, you know, with Anthony uh, Thomas, their running back. So it's ridiculous how good this guy can be. And, you know, how I would measure how good he is was when he was hurt and wasn't playing. You saw Indiana's defense go the opposite direction in a big way. So I think this guy can provide immediate depth for the New York giants and, and potentially work his way into the lineup. What do you think about this dude?
1: I, I I I'm a huge McFadden fan. I'm gonna probably age myself a little bit, but for those people that remember Paul Puzlesny, the linebacker out of Penn State, I swear to God these two guys are cloned from one another because these two people play exactly the same way. And Puzlesny had a wonderful career in the NFL for Buffalo. I mean, this kid just has an you know a nose for the ball. Everywhere the ball's at, he is right there. I mean, sure, Indiana did not look good last year, but that wasn't because of defense. Their offense was just brutal last year. and But defensively, Tom Allen has that very systematic approach of keeping everything in front of him. He's a good coach and a program that really hasn't valued their football program that much. And, you know, I think McFadden could easily start first year in the NFL. Absolutely. Yeah,
0: I think so, too. And, um, you know, just a couple other names that I want to talk about real quick. I know we're running out of time, but uh, I liked the uh, Rams pickup of Kyron Williams in the fifth round. Yes. Uh, yes. This guy, you know, ran a uh, not the greatest 40. But, dude, there's a difference between um, you're, you're not going to take a guy and stop the game and set up a track out in the middle of the NFL football field and see how fast he is. That's yeah. not what NFL football is. It's it's playing football. And as far as football speed goes, Kyron Williams has got plenty of it. And uh, I think with him joining the backfield with the, uh, you know, like Cam Akers and the guys that the Rams already have, I think Kyron Williams will fit right in with those dudes. And to get him in the fifth round, I thought was huge. Um, also, uh, I like the pick of, um, you know, obviously I hate uh, the team up north that I'm not even going to mention their name, but they wear those maize and blue uniforms, and for the uh, Tennessee Titans to pick up Hassan Haskins, uh, they're running back in the fourth round, uh, number 131 overall. As much as I hate that team, I have to admit he's a pretty damn good running back. And I think a guy uh, that can help the Titans and maybe take a little bit of the load off of Derrick Henry.
1: You know, I, I, another guy from Michigan who, honestly, I don't think he got nearly the credit because he doesn't have those showcase metrics but got drafted in the seventh round by new England is Andrew Stuber, the guard. I mean, he could play center. He could play guard. There's no technical problems with his game. It just doesn't blow you away because he doesn't have the massive size and the massive speed, but there's nothing wrong with his game. And you put him on that offensive line, which year after year, the Patriots have been proven to be good at. And you tag team him with Cole strange, I, I, I see upside for Andrew Stuber in New England.
0: I agree. And, I, you know, we talk, we've we been talking this whole uh, off season since college football ended, how this uh, was going to be a pretty huge draft uh, in the later rounds just because of the depth of it. And it, it turned out to be exactly that. And I, I'm pretty, you know, I'm glad we had the time to go over some of those guys we liked and talked about extensively in our offseason who we thought could be. Uh, game breakers in the NFL and ended up getting drafted. Now, some of them later, but, you know, it doesn't really matter when you get drafted. If you get put in the league and then you can prove yourself and get on the field, that's all that matters. Whether you're a first or you're a seventh round pick. Uh, you Heck, the, if you're an undrafted free
1: agent. I mean, that, that too. John, John Randall is testament to that. You know, a guy who had more heart than anybody else. And the guy's wearing a gold jacket now. is one of the greatest defensive linemen of all time.
0: Yeah, and we talked to a guy on this show, Chris Booker, out of Ohio State, who, uh, you know, was playing club football uh, at Ohio State and, you know, originally signed with Dayton out of high school, and we talked to him on this show, uh, ended up, you know, working his way onto the Buckeyes roster, and then it got invited to the Arizona Cardinals minicamp. So this is a dude who I'm very happy for. He was a really great guy. We had him on our show and talked to him and uh, got, to, got to know him a little bit. And uh, now he's he's going to get his chance in the NFL. So I'm really happy uh, for Chris Booker.
1: But, Absolutely. Uh,
0: wanted to uh, have you go ahead and announce our guest. Uh, as we Looks like we've got him in here in the green room. And I'm going to go ahead and pop him on. Uh, why don't you uh, tell our uh, folks who we've got with us today?
1: Well, it, it is my honor and pleasure to introduce a four-year starter at the University of Minnesota. Coming from Fort Worth, Western Hills our friend of the program crawford jordan former captain of the golden gophers in the mid-1990s welcome to the show croft thanks for coming on
2: wow james uh thank you for that introduction thank you nate and james for having me on the show hell man we appreciate you
0: coming on how you doing today man
2: i'm doing good it's, it's a, it was a rough morning we uh partied pretty hard last night <laughs> <laughs> I and it life. was actually pretty cool because uh, Tommy Kramer, um, former Vikings quarterback, great was having a party um, with some of his buddies, old Vikings that were there and uh, it was a good time catching up with him. And, and those old, uh, those old. Oh, heads. So,
1: so you were at that party with Keith Millard and Hank
2: Henry, all those guys. Yeah. We had fun. We had fun yucking it up with those guys last night.
1: That's wow. awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Well, Croft, tell me, Tell us a little bit about your process. I mean, you started off at Fort Worth, Western Hills. How did you end up in Minnesota? What was your recruiting process? Who? What other schools did you look for and why Minnesota? What was it that Jim Wacker was providing you that helped bring you from Texas to Minnesota?
2: Yeah, I, well, I'll preface it by saying it's been nearly, it's been about 29 years, 30 years. And, and I will say for those of you all who... Um, probably don't know or haven't heard of me um James Bonneville is one of my best friends from from nearly 29 30 years so he was one of the first people that I that I got to know when I came to Minnesota we were in the dorms together as freshmen and we've been uh we've been great friends ever since so I just want to preface by saying that Um, (laughs) it was an interesting it was an interesting uh road for me and I could talk about it for for days but um It started out i came home from practice or workout one afternoon and it was like 5 30 and i knew i had a um i had a um coaches meeting with um oh gosh jerry dinardo and hal hunter who were the offensive coordinator and head coach for vanderbilt so i come in to my house and my dad kind of escorts me in like i'm thinking wow this is kind of weird that dad's escorting me in And, and i sit in the living i come into the living room and expecting jerry dinardo and hal hunter to be there and they were there. Um, but sitting on the other side of the living room was Jim Wacker and Bob DeBess from Minnesota. And I looked at all the coaches and I'm like, what uh, just happened here? And I had accidentally scheduled both coaches on the same day <laughs> at the same time. And Coach Wacker and 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 Coach DeBess, they said, Hey, we're gonna go, we're gonna go to eat at Wendy's, we'll come back in about an hour. And They came back about 30 minutes later. It felt like an hour. And then they said, hey, listen, we want you to come up to Minnesota. They were just at TCU through my high school career up until my senior year. So I watched them, went and cleaned the stadiums after um, after games because I grew up about 10 minutes away from TCU. So I knew that coaching staff. I knew their style. um, And, you know, they were in their second year or first year at Minnesota. And they said, come up to Minnesota. We'll fly you out here on a Wednesday and then we'll fly you directly to Texas Tech on Friday and you won't regret it. You get to miss a couple of days of school. We just want you to come out here. And granted, that's way different than how it is today. These are official visits. They're paying for them. You know, they put you up in the hotel and all that fun stuff. So I came here and then I, um, they flew me direct and I had a great time. And there's a million stories around my recruiting visit here um just brushes with i i I got to meet christian Leitner, who was a rookie here and he told me all about how he loved minnesota and it was pretty awesome but um so then friday i flew to texas tech hung out at texas tech for the weekend sat in the office sunday afternoon with spike dykes who was the head coach of texas tech and he goes well what'd you think about texas tech and i said coach i love it it was fantastic i didn't i didn't um um I, I didn't think this ahead of time or have any thoughts of it. It didn't even really dawn on me until that very moment. But he said, "Well, what do you think? What do you what do you think about Texas Tech?" You know, expecting me to say I'm going to commit to Texas Tech, and I said, "Coach, I think I'm going to go to Minnesota."
1: <laughs>
2: yeah. I really lo- love that. He's like, well, you tell Jim Wacker, man, you got a good one. But mm, I'm up, you know. And, and he, was, he was joking about it, and it was it was. But I just. It, it felt right for me. Everything, just the stars aligned. <laughs> it wasn't a trip I was even supposed to take. They scrunched it in on, on, uh, on a Wednesday. I actually had to cancel. I didn't have to, but I canceled my um, trip to the next week. I think I was going to go to Vanderbilt. I canceled that. Um, had to go home and tell my parents, you know, because we didn't have like cell phones back then or texting. And I had to go tell my parents that I was going to Minnesota and break their hearts. And uh, mm-hmm. the rest is history what hey uh crawford
0: tell us a little bit about you know what your knowledge of uh the big 10 was back then as a guy coming up you know living in texas obviously big 10 football back then was a long way away you know now the conferences make no sense and the geography of it has been pretty much thrown out the window uh but you know back when we were uh, a little bit younger it, it still meant something and you know the big 10 was big balling back
2: then. Yeah. I mean, yeah we
0: had uh minnesota you know michigan uh, Ohio state. I mean, there was, there was talent all over that conference. Tell me what you, what you knew about it before, uh, you got recruited to go there and and what your thoughts were on the big 10 at that time.
2: Yeah. Um, I didn't have any thoughts. So that was pretty much zero. I didn't have, I, I didn't have much knowledge of college football at the time I watched as a fleeting fan. And, um, you know, I, I, if, if something was on, if a game was on ABC, I'd watch, but I wasn't a big college football fan or at least somebody who knew much about college ball I didn't even really know I was going to get recruited to play college ball until about my junior year and then I started having to watch but obviously um, the Big Ten when we play when I played back in the 90s was we were on top of the world I bookended my college career with two national champions my fir- very first game I played against um, national champion Penn State I played against um, you know Michigan every year, and they won the national championship my senior year. Um, tack in three Heisman winners that I played against, and I mean, I all I knew was Big Ten ruled the world, and you know we were just a small dog trying to trying to keep up. And you know, playing in those stadiums and playing in front of those cl- those crowds, it's um, to this day really surreal. And um, I was just out there as little. Five nine and three quarters, hundred and seventy-two pounds, soaking wet guy out there, just trying to hit whoever had the ball. And I don't care if they were winning a Heisman or winning a national championship or whatever. or The quarterback's throwing the ball, and he's a, you know, up for the Davey O'Brien. I'm I'm just trying to win. I'm trying to trying to do my best out there and and um, enjoy enjoy that. But but going in, into college, I didn't really know much about again about college football, and and it was all. I mean, it hit me in the face when I came here. You know, number one was Wisconsin. We worry about Wisconsin. They're our frenemies, and we we take care of business against them. And then we we hang on for dear life against Michigan, um, Ohio State, Penn State, Illinois at the time. Purdue. I mean, there was it was it was nasty. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, a question I've never asked you before, and I'm shocked I never have. I mean, because during that time, during the '90s, there were oodles and oodles of first round draft picks award winners you said national champions what players were you like that just kind of like pop out in your head when you played against them were like holy crap that guy's good like it just kind of like blew you away like it it didn't even show up on film that how truly good he was
2: um let's well before we say any he's um, first and foremost my the very first game that I ever played my red shirt freshman year was against Penn State who was the national champion they had you know three top ten guys on offense and I lined up on third down as the nickel back and I had to cover Kyle Brady who was all of six nine 280 pounds and he caught the ball right in front of me and I jumped on top of his back like I did something but it was a tackle right <laughs> and play ever and then um, a couple down the, down Later on in that game, I got to tackle Kajana Carter and um, fumbled he fumbled the ball, and I recovered a fumble right in front of Joe Paterno. This is my first game ever, and we're down by, like, 30 points, and I'm all like, holy crap, this is pretty easy. And <laughs> who's there? Their, I mean, you had their – their, gosh, their wide receiver went in the top 10. Um, gosh, I can't think of his name. I'm not doing it any justice. Bobby Ingram. Bobby Ingram. Bobby Ingram. Yeah, all-time um, all leading receiver. For exactly. Receiver. They had, and then um, top, who was their quarterback? Uh, their quarterback played in the Kerry NFL. Collins. Kerry, and then they had the fullback. So it was like, that was my initiation into, (laughs) into college football, playing against, and they were like, the coaches were like, it's gonna be easier than this after this. It's all downhill from now. And it (laughs) probably was, but that was, that was absolutely insane. I mean, that was insane playing against those guys. And then that set the bar, you know, for the next four years that I just looked at these guys and I'm like, okay, you know, I'm on the field with you. I'm on the field with you, uh, you know, tyrone wheatley or eddie george eddie george was probably the most intimidating i mean the guy was just a freak you know, like playing against him. but mike Allstott and and um gosh what's what's his name from wisconsin oh gosh Bondane. Bondane. i mean all these guys we played against and these are just the running backs yeah. <laughs> let alone talking about all the receivers and the linemen and the linebackers and the defenses it was just it was it was unbelievable
0: yeah, and we got to watch a little bit of your highlights right there. So, you know, obviously that was big boy football and you got to go through that whole recruiting process. And now uh, you get to do it again uh, with your son. And uh, just tell us a little bit about what it's like going through it uh, on the opposite end of the spectrum, uh, being a dad
2: now. Yeah, Nate, it's weird. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it's different. It's different. You know, we've gone to the junior days which I had never even heard of until my my son started getting recruited or at least these kids you know you go and there's a lot of kids who go to these schools and mostly regionally right now the schools here in the Midwest unless you want to get on a plane and go somewhere else which we're going to be doing here shortly I think our month of June and July are we've got camps that we're going to and visits and now it's different than when you know I talked about my recruiting experience. We had five official visits. You talk to coaches all during the year or whenever they can talk to you back in, you know, this was back in the nineties and you take, you, you commit to five official visits. You might do a game day, you know, sideline visit, but you commit to your five visits. And then after you, or excuse me, you, you go to your five official visits. And then after those visits, you decide who you're going to, you know, who you're going to commit to. And then like a week later is signing day. So, know this process is drawn out over a couple years for some kids it's almost three years and you know these kids are not necessarily getting offers um you know before it's just different you know it's different with every kid you know my son is is fortunate enough that he has the grades um so that factors in with schools um the schools that he likes that he's interested in have high academic standards um you know where, where we live, what area we're in. We have, you know, one, two, really two D one schools in this area. Um, And then you start getting out into the Midwest and, and, and looking at those schools, but it's been really cool. It's, it's, it's just interesting. Parents are somewhat involved a little bit. You know, I do have conversations with coaches, uh, but for the most part, the coaches are on Twitter and on text with the kids. And we don't know any, I don't, really know anything until after my son tells me, oh, I talked to this coach or, you know, we'd have to go out to this school on June 17th or whatever. And so it's just really interesting, different. And then you you throw in all of these other variables right now with NIL and with the transfer portal and how kids are being selected. Um, it, 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 it really diminishes a little bit um, what's happening with um, high school juniors and seniors right now.
0: Oh, yeah, that's where I was going to go next. And yep. and and that's why I feel bad for some of these kids, because there's not as many scholarships anymore. I mean, you had first the COVID year, where some of these yep. guys are coming back for their super senior year, their fifth, their sixth year on campus, and that's taking away scholarships. And then you've got 2,000, 3,000 kids in the transfer portal, which some coaches say, hey, you know, I could try and help to uh, develop this kid from, from high school years, or I could take this guy that's already played in Division One college football that I know I can just plug in right away. And yep. it's making it harder for the high school kids uh, to get offers and to, to get scholarships. And, you know, I've heard all over across the board, you know, going to prep schools, uh, going to junior colleges, whatever – but just tell us a little bit about, um, you know, what you've seen with that and, and what yeah. your thoughts are with all those things coming together uh, w- with the high school kids, you know, having to face.
2: Yeah. Um, on the surface, it, it, it is rough. It's a rough situation and, you know, there's no sugarcoating it. You, know, you hear from coaches. I I hear from you know, Coach Fleck from Minnesota and he talked about sort of what it looks like for kids that are going in my son's class, who's 2023, who are gonna go into their senior year. Those kids are not gonna, other than the ones who've already been offered and the ones who they really wanted to come in and, and you know, the ones that they wanted to get off the bat, right? Um, the rest of the juniors right now, um, just the effects of the, the transfer portal, you know, it's, the kids have until the end of this month, starting this month, May, right, to, to enter the portal. So now coaches have to wait until their kids enter the portal. And then once their kids enter the portal, they sort of have to wait to figure out if those kids are going to be leaving. And then now come fall or before fall, coaches are having to plug in holes that they, if you can't put a freshman incoming freshman into a hole where a quarterback, a second string quarterback in a big 10 program is leaving, like you just can't do it. So you have to find maybe somebody who's that caliber from another from another power, um, you know, power five school or whatnot. But so so what I heard from P.J. Fleck and his and, and his perspective is that it really pushes back the timing for these seniors. They're really going to start going back to the old school way, when, you know, 30 years ago when I'm getting recruited, where they're looking at these seniors Um, As it's sort of at the end of their season, they're going to start evaluating the senior film come December and January, and then there's going to be that short runway of two months where you're getting recruited hard, sort of like the old traditional ways of of getting recruited. So I think that's going to affect these kids, uh, my son's class, certainly, um, and maybe even the next year's class, um, until things settle down with the portal and and maybe they put some sort of parameters around the portal. But you know what? At the end of the day, the universe, I think, works itself out. And I the the silver lining to me is and I played in the Big Ten. The silver lining to me is that now you have schools that aren't Big Ten schools or that aren't Power Five schools or that aren't SEC schools that are starting to get talent. And you can have talent in mid majors, you know, being in that area, mid majors, majors. one double a traditional schools that are powerhouse schools that are producing if you're looking at the end of the day they are producing the same numbers and i hear it every single day and every single night especially now during draft time of these schools that are getting having just as many drafted out of their out of their classes than these big time schools so um you know, so that so it, it's not it's not all you know, about going to a going to a power five school. You yeah. can go to any school that's got a, a good program and have opportunities to to play to play well. And then even you know down the line, if you know the 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 portal you know is something that you want to get into and you maybe want to make your way to a bigger stage, then then you might have an opportunity to do that. Kind of sucks right now, but. If you look at it in the long term, it, it, it opens up the college football um, playing field um, figuratively and literally, you know.
1: I agree. Hey, Croft. Now, you've got an incredible friend network uh, and played with great people, former players that you've had for your friends with, even coaches. Who are some of those mentors that you had that helped not only develop you as a football player, but really long term professionally in life, too, as well?
2: Yeah. Um, you know, one, one person jumps out, Daryl Thompson. Um, he's a former gopher, um, running backs held, held most, if not all of our running back records, um, played, um, had a good career for the Packers. Um, I've sat on his board of Boulder options. It's a nonprofit organization that helps underserved youth in Minneapolis. I've sat on his board for, um, 10 years and, but, 10 years prior to that, I started getting to know, or maybe even 15 years prior to that, started getting to know Daryl because I knew he was prestigious alumni. I knew what he was doing. He was raising a family. He was married to a former student athlete, um, just like I am. he, and you know, he has, (laughs) gosh, Daryl has four kids who all played division one sports, two boys, two girls, um, two of them are playing right now. Um, and so I've just learned a lot about the game from him his perspective, um, being somebody who, for him, he's been in the Twin Cities, and he's been a prominent figure in the Twin Cities. He's also, um, Nate, if you didn't know, he's also our um, our radio broadcaster for Gopher Football. And so it's just been fantastic um, just being able to be, to be around him. He's considered a big brother to me, and there are a number of other bigger, big brothers and little brothers in, in Gopher Football that, that are that I I stay in touch with and and that I just just feed off of we feed off of each other and and I don't care if I'm 20 years older than them or 30 years younger than them we still have this brotherhood and we 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 keep it strong as much as we can
0: nice and uh obviously thinking back you know now that we're we're, we're going back to our uh, memories here tell me about your uh your, your biggest and best memory from playing all those years of the Gophers what what sticks out to you and uh, what do you want to share with our listeners today?
2: Um, wow. I usually defer to my Encyclopedia Britannica of 30 years, uh, James Bonneville, to tell me all of the things that I can't remember. <laughs> James always says, hey, do you remember that one game when you guys did this? And I'm like, oh, mm, no, but I do now. Tell me more.
0: <laughs> it's, coming, it's coming back to me. Yeah.
2: Um, but no, I honestly, James tells me everything, and it's just it's amazing the stuff you forget. But um, I, I would just say overall playing against Wisconsin. I mean, I um, I had a I had a run in at a at a uh, fishing tournament that we were hosting. That um, Brad Childress, who was a former Viking yeah. uh, coach at the time, he was the Vikings coach, and I was like before the fishing tournament, I'm like Brad, where's um what's the quarterback's name, James? Who Daryl Bevel. Daryl. So Daryl Bevel was the offensive coordinator for the for the Vikings at the time, and I'm like, Brad, hey, where's where's Daryl? Is he coming? Is he coming to the tournament? Tell him Crawford. Tell him Crawford said hi. Um, I intercepted Daryl Bevel two years in a row. Once out in Wisconsin in '94, which was the last time we had won the Axe um, yeah. in Wisconsin for like 25 years up until 2019. Um, and I had an interception against Darryl Bevel on like the second play of the game. And then the very next year at the Metrodome, I intercepted it and get him again. So I said, I said, Brad, yeah, tell, tell Darrell, tell Daryl it was, it was great catching balls with him. <laughs> he, was like, he was like, you tell him yourself. And he was like, Oh, by the way, I was the offensive coordinator. I'm like, Oh, <laughs> I didn't even know that Brad was the offensive coordinator for the, for the, for the Badgers win when daryl was the quarterback and i'm like oh gosh he's like i know i remember you and blah 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 and so it was just fun playing against the badgers win or lose um you know i had success against the badgers you know when when we played against them because it was just like it was one of those games that we hyped up and it was it's a rivalry you know like no other and so i was always kind of geeked for that game and i try to show off as much as possible and um playing you know there and even playing at the Metrodome against the Badgers it was always packed it was always crazy um and it was it was fun seeing like boyfriends and girlfriends wearing different colored jerseys cheering and yelling against each other and then kissing each other and then you know (laughs) weird Bonneville one of my best friends is from is from Wisconsin my wife who played basketball at Minnesota she's from Madison and she's still like deep deep down in her family blood is all bad. They're Badger. They love the Badgers. And so it's fun having that just banter back and forth with my family even so.
1: Heck, my wife went to Wisconsin, so yeah. that's oh, always God. interesting in our family. So, oh, hey, uh, when you grew up in Texas, did you ever think that a pig, an axe, a jug, and a bell would be that important to you? As this <laughs> <Yes. time? laughs> no, I didn't even know it worked were The only
2: trophy I knew about was the Heisman. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: I'm like, hey,
2: Ox, what are we doing with this axe? Why are we trying to win this axe? <laughs> yeah, no, it was uh,
1: uh no. By the way, but before you learn, you learn Iowa, fast. Uh, before Iowa games when Crawford and I are together for games, it's pretty uti- routine that bacon is part of the menu, no matter where we're at yes. before yes. the game, after the game. It's just it's just part of the Iowa game. you have to have begging because you gotta you gotta respect Floyd you know yes. Floyd the Pig is a big part of our life. yeah uh, <laughs> hey, uh, you've seen a lot as a player coaching youth today. I mean heck Jermaine Johnson who just got drafted yes uh, on Thursday, somebody from the Eden Prairie program. what advice could you give to? people like Devin your son or even future players or even current players that, that could help them from stuff that you've learned through your processes playing the game and even afterwards
2: oh gosh I don't know if Devin is going to pick up on anything that I've tried to advice that <laughs> <laughs> I could give somebody else the advice to give to him but no it's just it's it's always working hard and it and it's it's all about your own it, it's it's all about what you want to put into it and what you're going to get out what you put into it and i talked to my son I'm, i keep pointing he's upstairs right now and and i'm i'm in him every single day and i'm sure he hates it but but it's just those little things that it's not necessarily advice it's just things that i didn't have or know or even anticipate growing up that hey if i can get it if, if you can just hear something that i'm saying that that will give you a little bit of advantage. Maybe those things will add up and, and you won't have to go through the things that I went through or, you know, um, you know, go over some of the hurdles that I had to to go over um, to get by. And it's not just me going through those hurdles. It's anybody. It's just, it's just sound advice on like, Hey, you know, when you come home from working out, make sure that you're taking your protein shake because your body is going to be, your muscles are going to be tired. And I say that to my son every single day. And it's something that like, who would have taught who would have told me that growing up? You know, yeah. simple stuff like that. Um, that'll that'll help you. Um, so I, I think it's gosh, James, in that question, I I say things every single day. Too many, <laughs> too much <laughs> stuff. My wife and I send TikTok videos to our kids that are motivational. And you know, I send texts to my son all day long that he probably hates to see, but but you know, as as much knowledge and as much experience that you can that you can give back to these kids. I try, and I've done that. That's why I've co- coached and mentored and, and been a part of any way that I can and helping these kids out. Yeah.
0: I just tell my daughter, don't do what I did. Whatever, you
2: do, <laughs> whatever you've heard about your dad,
0: whatever you, whatever people tell you about what your dad did, listen to it and then do the exact opposite.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Cause I
0: had to learn the hard way with everything I did and, you know, made it, made it, uh, you know, the, the, ridiculous uh, to get to where I am now, but you know, I made it. So that's all that really matters. But uh we We appreciate you coming on today, man. Um, it's been great Thank catching you. up and I wish your son the best of luck uh, moving forward. I hope he, uh, I hope he enjoys it and sucks it all in and uh, gets to go wherever he wants. And like you said, man, there is uh, there's lots of places to play. And the good news is if he goes somewhere and it doesn't work out, he doesn't like it now you can go wherever you want and there's no penalties so yeah uh yep. tell them to uh just enjoy the process and have fun and uh, hopefully we can check back in with you and uh see how it's going down the road
2: certainly certainly i appreciate you both of you having me on
0: all right man and i'm
2: a big fan of the show so i i, I hey. love watching and seeing everybody's perspective i was just so i, I um when i watched chris booker's I, when when I watched him on the show and he was like, I played for a club team. I'm like Googling, what the heck? There's a club. There's <laughs> I didn't even know that football. existed. I'm like, no, you know, I
0: didn't even know that existed, honestly. Um, you know, I'm a big Ohio State fan and I've been an Ohio State fan since I was born. And uh, you know, I, I know pretty much everything about the Buckeyes, but I did not know there was club football at Ohio that State it. that played that wore pads. And that, you know, these guys played in and uh, to hear that guy's story was was truly amazing. And it, it honestly made me feel bad about myself, uh, because <laughs> how, how much that guy's head, you know, is, is in a right place at, at yeah. his age. Yeah. It, it blew me away. And I, I was me and James were talking about it earlier in the show. We were so happy to hear uh, that he got invited to the, the Cardinals camp. Yeah. If anybody deserves it, it's that guy.
2: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, All right. man. Keep doing, keep doing it. I appreciate it. We will, man.
0: Thank you okay. so much for coming on. We appreciate you, and uh, we'll talk to you again real soon. Okay. All right. Thank hey, you, guys. And hey, give one.
1: Sarah, Devin, Vanessa my best. All right. Will do. Will do. All right, all right man. All Thanks right. again. Thanks, brother. Have a good all, good, all right.
0: All right. That was the Craw Daddy, Crawford oh. Gordon. That was awesome, man. He is one of the most well-spoken dudes I've ever spoken to in my life. Uh, so that was pretty cool, and uh, he's got some good stories, man. He played against. Uh, some of the greatest players in the history of college football, oh. and that's what we're about on this show, man. College football, and if anybody knows about college football, it's it's Crawford. Uh,
1: he 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 played against them all. It, it, it's crazy. Whenever he and I get together, it's like it, it, we we start running through stuff of players like the old running back Robert Holcomb from Illinois or Mike Alstott. I mean, heck, Eddie George. I mean, I I, I just remember the look he just. Turns to me and gives me the roll of the eyes of like, man, Eddie George was just a big dude. (laughs) And it's just, it's good to hear from his perspective because he's so easy to talk to. You know, he's just, I mean, heck, he's a brother of mine. He's the first person I met in college. And uh, I'm kind of shocked he didn't bring up our intramural basketball days too, as well, which (laughs) we had a rock star team, rock star. Yeah, we didn't, I get mean, to that. we didn't
0: get to that today. We'll have he, to discuss he, the intramural basketball next he, time. He
1: averaged a double-double, and neither one of them were points, so. <laughs> he, he did the dirty work is what you're saying. Rebounds and steals. Man, this guy could pick anything off, you know. I like it. I like it. Yeah, we
0: saw that with his highlights, dude. He. Uh, oh, yeah. He got good anticipation, that's for sure, and yeah. Uh, he, he had a heck of a career and I enjoyed talking to him today. And it's, it's really cool. You know, that, this is another guy we've had on who's got to go through it, uh, you know, twice he got to go through yeah. the recruiting process when he was coming up and now he has a son going through it. And, you know, we got to talk to Joshua Harris, the former quarterback of Bowling green, whose son is now moving up uh, you know, some, some of the recruiting boards and, and getting a lot more looks, especially after he jumped uh, over six, one in his high jump last week. Uh, or two weeks ago in the uh, Ohio high school uh, state championship. So um, you know we got a lot of good feedback and I, I just you know it, I, I wanted to talk to him today about that because it's it's freaking me out how uh, these high school kids are having to battle and yeah. how much they're having to go through with with all these you know these guys that are sticking around like we talked about earlier, fifth sixth year, so many people in the transfer portal. it's like some of these kids, you know, are getting overlooked. And, and we talked to Marshall McDuffie, uh, the head coach down in uh, Tampa Bay uh, at, at a really prestigious high school who pumps guys into the Division I normally. And, and he's he's experiencing the same thing down there. And uh, you just got to get creative, I guess. And you have to, uh, you know, not not get down if you don't get the offers that you would expect uh, just because the, the times are different right now.
1: Well, I, I've seen Devin play. And Devin is... You could see some similarities between him and in Crawford's game because, you know, Dev can come up into the box and play, you know, and, and put a hat on somebody. He's really good at tackling, but you get him in passing downs. He can sit back and it's, I mean, heck, he had like what, five, six interceptions last year, at Eden Prairie in a yeah. conference that doesn't throw the ball that much. And he just has an eye for the game. He's an incredibly cerebral kid who's very athletic. I mean, he's already jumped 6'4 this year as a junior. He'll probably be breaking the school record for high jump in the state of Minnesota and probably have a good chance of being the state champ and high jump in this year. So that's you crazy. he and- just watch his body frame. I mean, especially his lower body, he's just got a real powerful frame down there, especially his ankles are just thick.
0: Yeah. And I, I looked at Devin, um, you know, when, when you told, uh, Told me that Crawford might might be coming on the show, and I looked at some of his film, and it looked like he used to be a quarterback. Yeah, he and was, then, uh, and then moved uh, to, to defensive back in the last year or two. So, you know, a lot of some of this stuff that he's doing is new to him, and so I yeah. think to, to have the success that he's had uh, switching positions like that, I, I think he's shown a lot of promise, and uh, I, I'm going to be interested to see where you know what happens in this next year and and where he goes, because I've watched a lot of tape on him and he looks like a pretty good uh, young prospect.
1: Absolutely. And his kid sister, Vanessa, she's going to be a bang up basketball player too, as well. I mean, incredible speed, uh, really a ferocious appetite for the game. She just likes to attack, uh, attack (laughs) the basket. So she's, I mean, that's a family that, I mean, it's, they both, Sarah played basketball to you, Crawford played football and track. I mean, it's just an athletic family, but more importantly, they're just good people. They're good people yeah. to be around and they're, they, you know, they're, they're, they're welcoming to everybody. So.
0: Yeah. just like our other uh, family from Minnesota, the Dalton's up there and we, we, got oh, yeah, see, uh, uh, Donnie, I watched the, uh, the Oregon spring game. So we got, uh, we got some other folks from, from up in Minnesota that are spreading out across the country and, and doing good things too. So we'll have to keep a watch on him. I uh, got his brother, you know, playing out in San Diego State, and now he's going to be up in Oregon. So we're going to have to stay up late and uh, watch the West Coast games too to get a get a handle on what's going on with those guys.
1: Got to get your Pac-12 and Mountain West after dark games. Absolutely, buddy. I, I've been doing it since I was like
0: seven years old. My dad would come upstairs <laughs> at like one o'clock in the morning and be like, "Son, what what are you doing? You're seven years old. You got to go to bed." I'm like, "Dad, uh, UTEP's on." You know, UTEP. Uh, <laughs> UTEP's playing Wyoming, and it's a tie game. He's like, yeah, it's, it's 1 in the morning. You got to go to bed. I'm like, they're going to overtime. I'm not going to bed. <laughs> <laughs> you got to see who pulls this out. So, anyway, uh, great show today. want to thank everybody for tuning in. We got to do a little draft talk. Uh, now we can actually talk about other stuff now that the draft is over. So, I'm excited about that. We'll probably uh, touch on some of the undrafted guys and, um, you know, break that down a little bit. But now we can get into – uh, some of our previews uh, for the upcoming season, because before you know it, it's going to be uh, football season again, which uh, makes me, makes me very happy.
1: Absolutely. So, the countdown uh, is on.
0: The countdown is on. We can, we can bust out and break down all the uh, spring game stuff. I've watched the Buckeye spring game about 10 times now, so I can definitely uh, tell you what happened in that one. And uh, I'm starting to watch all the other ones too. So we can, we can get into what went down this spring and what we expect to occur this fall. So thanks to everybody for tuning in. This is Man Coverage, Knoxville Nate and Mr. James Bonneville. Appreciate you, James. Uh, enjoyed hey, it today. And uh, wanna thanks uh, put a special thanks out to our guest one more time, Crawford uh, Jordan, uh, former captain of the Minnesota Golden Gophers and a tremendous player and an even better guy. Uh, loved having him on the show today and appreciate everybody tuning in. So we will uh, see you again next week. And uh, we will talk more college football because that's what we do. Absolutely. All right. Adios, buddy. Have a good weekend, and I'll talk to you again real soon.
1: Hey, see that.